Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. We are live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Brew Hoop Podcast. My name is Kyle Carr, filling in for the hosting duties this week as Adam is still enjoying life. And joining me as always is my good friend Riley Feldman. Riley, how's it going? Uh, I'm doing okay, Kyle. How about yourself? I'm fine. It's (laughs) like I feel like this past week has just been a everything's fine, nothing noteworthy. Mm it's fall it is full on fall and i love it i'm waiting for these damn leaves to fall to the ground so i can (laughs) deal with that but otherwise get get your rake on yeah oh i'm i'm mowing over it i'm not raking this year (laughs) i I always i was always confused by that i'll walk through our neighborhood and i'll see people like going through the trouble of raking the whole yard and i'm like don't you have something to just break it up and say we'll see you next next year or something well, the thing is, you can mow over and it'll be mulch, and then that's good for the grass as well. So it's like, why Why am I raking this? Like, it'll get, I mean, there'll be a point where there's too many leaves that I can't just mow over it. And maybe then I'll just leaf blow it, but I'm going to keep mowing it until I can or until it just gets too much. <laughs> here's, here's my other fall related question to you. And this is going to be in my rapid fire, but you got it this week. Have you guys turned on the heat yet so far this oh, season? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The issue is Sterling's room, because he has a big window, it gets very drafty in there. Mm-hmm. So for him, it's like his room is freezing. And our room is, if it wasn't for the fact that we had Emma, myself, and the dog, it would probably be cold as well. So we've turned the heat on, and plus I, my office is in the basement. So, we've the, so yeah, the heat's been on. It hasn't okay. been on that long, but it definitely is on and kicking. Yeah, I can't blame you there. We have a radiator system, so it's oh. either not on at all or blasting. It's like hell in here. So I've, we're kind of trying to find the balance. We usually turn it off overnight because we're warm enough. And then you turn it on in the morning. But the issue is it takes like an hour and a half, two hours for it to get going. So you're just sitting there wrapped in a blanket. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to like full heat season, but we are not fully there yet. Yeah, my college, my college apartment was radiator. And it was it was the same thing where I was like... 
I have to have this on or else our pipes will freeze. But good God, it is – I'm sweating in this house. <laughs> it, it was uh, it's a universal experience. Everybody knows what it's like to have it radiate. It's so funny because, like, we have a, uh, a little, like, temperature control dial. But it's, like, literally you turn it over 65 and you can hear the radiators turn on. And you turn it under 65 and they turn off. And, like, the temperature on there, it doesn't matter at all. I don't know why it's just not a switch. Yeah. It, I don't, mine was just like one of those where you can open it more or less. Like you could have more heat come out or and it didn't matter. It was, it was kind of just one of those where I was like, I don't know why this exists, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. But a team that probably was sweating it out was the Milwaukee Bucks this past week. Um, they have their first game on Monday against the Indiana Pacers where they won 119 to 109. Giannis had 30 points, 10 of 18 from the floor, 10 of 13 from the free throw line, almost had a triple double. He was one assist away. Chris was there with 27 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. Gray Allen, 4 of 9 from 3, 5 of 5 from the line for 19 points. And um, the funniest thing was Thanasis played about 20 minutes. Went 4 or 5 from the floor. And Indiana could not take advantage of it, which is unfortunate for them. But Miles Turner only played 14 minutes. Sabonis was okay. Uh, but he only took 13 shots while Malcolm Brogdon and Duarte took 37 shots. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that last part right there kind of explains, Riley, how did the Pacers not take advantage of the Bucks injury crisis? Uh, I don't know. I'm very confused by it. It's not because Thanasis doesn't give it his all because he does give it his all. Even if he's not doing well or like doing correctly, he does give it his all. Um, I have no idea why the Pacers struggled to have either of their somewhat like notable big men do a whole bunch. I mean, Sabonis scored efficiently, but they didn't go to him a whole bunch. And it's not like Thanasis, he does an okay job trying to bump you off of position. But once the guy gets the ball next to Thanasis, that possession should either end in you like doing a slight move and getting a free look or you being able to draw an easy foul of Thanasis while he tries to like slap the hell out of you so i mean i little confused by the execution from the pacers uh the more notable thing or another notable thing when it comes to big men is neither sabonis or turner or anybody else on the pacers roster had anything for Giannis on the defense event which is something we're very used to but it's like when you're the pacers and you know that the only other big man is Giannis's brother who's like half a foot shorter than him how you're unable to like try and like the Spurs have done the week, the Saturday before, and then last night, how you're not able to use your big man to like throw off Giannis's rhythm and force everybody else to try to beat you. I have no idea. So not good for Rick Carlisle questionable there, but outside of their execution, you can only do what you have control over and what the Bucks had control over was scoring a lot of points and both Giannis and Chris showed up and that'll be a theme we talk about in this week and any other week where Drew and Brooke are gone. Um, but it, it's like how far those two guys go because the rest of the roster, outside of Gray Allen, who got 19 points, but he, you know, he's going to be higher low depending on his three point shooting. Uh, outside of that, you should expect almost zero help from everybody else on the roster. Paddle have an okay game every once in a while. Uh, Grayson will have an okay game every once in a while. George Hill's mixed. He's not should not be the starter. So like that that set the tone in the Pacers game. But because both Chris and Giannis played so well and the Pacers made poor decisions, that was enough for us to sneak by. Yeah, it was definitely one of those where and also the Bucks made 26 of 31 for the free throw line. So that is very helpful as well when you can shoot 84 percent. 
And I don't know. Yeah, I think that's the most baffling thing is we know Giannis is just really, really good. That's just established. We know Chris is really, really good. But yeah, can these other players chip in just enough? And I mean, Grayson Allen, he hit some shots. That's That was important. Pat Connaughton was 3-7, so that was helpful. You know, George Hill, while he didn't have the best game, I think he was at least a steady force, especially on defense. Um, and like I said, Thanos is getting four or five from the field. Like it, it's it's stuff like that where it's you're looking and it's like, all right, this is going to be good. Even Rondy Hood came in, it wasn't, you know, that bad. He didn't do much, but he also didn't do anything to hurt the team. So I think it's just stuff like that. We're seeing the improvement of Jordan War as well on the defensive side. It was interesting. This game was weird just because it always felt like Indiana was finally going to get it together and take over and take the lead. And it just never happened. Even in the fourth quarter when they were trimming the lead down, it was just, it was still one of those where it was like, okay, when is this happening? When is this going to turn around? And it just never did. So I, I props to the bucks for that. Definitely interested to see how this Thanasis as the center, I guess quasi center is going to go just because when, I mean, we saw in the other two games, when you do go against a legitimate center, it doesn't go, it doesn't end well. No, uh, this, uh, the thing about the Pacers and it breaks my heart as the only Malcolm Brogdon defender left on the entire staff speaking with, with the man himself who I've had this debate with for, for years now, why is he taking 17 shots from, uh, from inside the arc? What are you doing, Malcolm? I mean, I swear to God, dude, you have all these other guys around you. I mean, Justin Holiday, okay, very much a role guy. He takes all of his shots from three, fine. Uh, Chris Duarte, I, I mean, young guy. They're really giving him the green light, like really giving him the green light for a rookie. Why is Malcolm taking 17 shots from inside? It makes no sense at all to me. I understand he does like the three attack the hoop thing, but you have two big men. Try to like have them do that. I thought it was supposed to be like a pick and roll maestro like sort of situation there. And that was certainly not the case and went a long way to helping the Bucks uh, survive the fact that he wasted a lot of uh, possessions by not doing the most efficient shot selection for by getting somebody else involved. Well, it's also just more the fact that it's like the other team's center is the Nasus. Like give the ball to Sabonis and Turner and just let them do the work. It's, I think mm-hmm. that was just more the thing. Like, yes, Brogdon getting 17 shots from inside the arc. I I guess, sure, why not? But at the same time, it's like, what what are the Pacers doing? Like, what was Ricardo doing? I think you would think at some point he'd be like, okay, their center is 6'9". Like, get Miles Turner. What are you why why are you what 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 good are you at this point? Get and I saw I don't know who it was, but someone's like, Oh, would you trade Brooke and Dante for Miles Turner? I was like, Absolutely not. And this game should have been a startling <laughs> indictment of why I would not do that. Like, I don't want to downgrade from Brooke to Miles Turner just because Dante can't stay healthy. Like, no, it, it it's the Pacers are a weird team because that starting lineup should be better than it is, and yet it feels like they are perpetually going to underachieve no matter who the head coach is. Like I figured Rick Carl, and maybe it's still early, but this is the same core that, you know, this core isn't really doing anything. And for a team with Sabonis and Brogdon and Turner, even if I'm not the biggest Malcolm, even if I was not, the Bucks should have kept Malcolm Brogdon. I still think he's a good player, but they just underachieve a lot. And I don't know. It they're a weird team in that they should be better, but they're not. It's okay. 
I, I think it's instructive for them because in their system, Malcolm Brogdon is the primary ball handler. And as much as I like Malcolm, he was always best served when he was like the secondary handler or he could kind of trade off with somebody else. You know, if you have multiple guys around him who can do more facilitation because he has seven assists, seven turnovers, that's instructive for these bucks right now because our main ball handlers are Giannis and Chris and they are racking up turnovers like crazy. The reason why the people around them are like not used to trying to orient around them. And we'll talk about this more in the, the Wolves and Spurs game here in a second. But it's like those guys should not be the primary ball handlers. And they, especially combined with early season, guys don't around them don't have the chemistry to be like, okay, I'm going to go to Chris now because he needs me to help bail him out. Like so much of these offenses, like a Malcolm Brogdon or a Giannis and Chris, it becomes some sort of initial action to get the primary ball handler, Giannis or Chris, free and like, you know, on one of the wings and then just like try to let them work over there. And that is going to turn into turnover city when those guys look into like try to feed somebody else. So I think that's another indication of the struggles for Indiana is like they have a primary ball handler who is probably not best equipped to be a primary ball handler. And that shows in like the crazy turnover numbers. True, true. And I mean, he did want to become the primary ball handler. So it is what it is. It's but... true. It's true. They paid <laughs> him like another, they gave him like another $45 million extension or whatever. So, I mean, they must be happy with it. Hey, good on him for getting his money. But another person yeah. who's definitely going to make a lot of money in the future is Anthony Edwards, as he and the Minnesota Timberwolves were able to, I don't know if escape is the right word. I don't know how to describe it, but they won 113 to 108. Um, Giannis was ridiculous again and we'll talk about that quote later but he had 40 points uh 16 rebounds seven seven assists uh chris didn't have the best shooting night 16 points on six of 16 shooting for the four one of eight from three um grayson allen was the only other buck in double figures and he was three of eight from three as well so it was not really the best offensive performance from milwaukee 14 of 51 from three and that's probably the biggest reason why they struggled but then again the timberwolves also did not shoot well from three they were 13 of 45 but D'Angelo Russell had 29 points. Carl Anthony Towns had 25 points. Uh, Anthony Edwards had 25 points. They kind of just threw a lot at Milwaukee early on, took advantage of the fact that the Bucks didn't have a rim-protecting big. And after the first quarter, it was kind of a slog until the fourth quarter in which <laughs> I legitimately thought maybe the Bucks will come back and win this game. But <laughs> it was not meant to be. I think at one point they had it down to like two or three. But mm-hmm. they, they never yeah. led. Either the Bucks never led either in this game. This is the first time they have lost wire to wire at home in Pfizer Forum ever. So I don't know how it was the Timberwolves of all team, but what do you think about this, Riley? What did I what did I say on last week's podcast, Kyle? We're gonna get our eye off the ball with the Timberwolves. And what happened? This is what happened. <laughs> we uh we ran into a team who has a big man who does a lot of scoring, uh, who took advantage of that. Now he shot a couple of threes, but like not only was Carl Anthony Towns a presence uh, when he start, decided to go inside, like he, that's that's what he does. Everybody knows that's what he does. He can score from all three levels. Like he's just he's he's good at that. The main issue is when like <laughs> D'Angelo Russell, who has been awful this year. Prior to that game, he had some horrendous numbers, and yet he, he like he like I don't know. I think he went six to seven to start the game or something like just red hot right from the get go. So like, how much do I blame? Milwaukee defensive execution uh probably a little bit but part of it too is like sometimes the other team is just really hot and uh that's kind of what happened here especially in the first half now the Bucks did make a go of it in the second half but like 
this is what I'm talking about with the Pacers game. Giannis has an excellent game, 40 points. Like, again, another team where they really have nothing for him. Chris struggles a little bit. It's not so much that he's not getting the shots up, but, like, it's just not converting at the same rate. And once that happens, then we start going second order. It's You go into your second order guys way quicker than you normally would. So then it's like, okay, what is George Hill capable of? What is Grayson Allen capable of? And in this game, a lot of the, like, the second order guys did well, but not enough to help overcome the fact that the Timberwolves started off really hot, built up a li- bit of a lead, um, and then just like... In the second half, like you said, we, the Bucks kept getting close, and then the Timberwolves were just like a timely response with like a Russell three. Anthony Edwards would attack the basket. Like there was just it seemed like a stylistic difference between the Pacers, who are a uh, little bit more reticent as a whole team to attack the paint. Timberwolves, not so much the case. Uh, and even with like okay performance from everybody else, if you get one point five guys of your top line guys to show up, that's just not going to be good enough. Yeah, and it was. There were just a lot of open looks that Milwaukee couldn't hit. Like, Pat Connaughton had a couple in the corner. Grayson Allen had a couple in the corner. Like, there were a lot of open looks that Milwaukee could not hit. And had the Bucks just made a few of those, I don't think it would have been a loss. I think they would have actually walked away with the win. Because you saw at the end of the game, it was like, okay, we're just going to give the ball to Giannis, and he's going to attack the room, and no one can stop him. And that's probably what we should be doing all the time. But obviously, we can't do that all the time. So I think that was kind of a big indicator of that. It was just, yeah, the Timberwolves started red hot. Part of that was Milwaukee can't do, could not defend. The other part is, well, they were just, it was kind of like what you're saying. They just couldn't miss. And it was interesting because as the game went on, after that first quarter, then it was like, okay, now it's starting to regress a little bit more. And the Bucks maybe won't continue to shoot as poorly. And they just kept shooting poorly. And then I think it was that third quarter where I was like, this was probably their chance because the Timberwolves weren't doing anything spectacular. They were still trying the same things. It just wasn't falling, and Milwaukee just went cold for the longest stretch. And, yeah, that's going to happen. And I think the Bucks waited until it was too little too late <laughs> to turn it around. It was one of those where I think past Timberwolves teams would have completely blown that game. Maybe a Timberwolves team without Anthony Edwards would have blown that game, but it was – double-checking what it was – yeah, Chris Middleton makes a 20-footer. He made a corner. His foot was on the ledge, so it's 108-106. And this is what I was like, I swear to God, they're going to come back and win, aren't they? And then that's when Anthony Edwards gets the end one, and that effectively sealed the game. And it was – that was kind of the indicator where I was like, all right, let's go home. This isn't happening just because that – it was it was really that third quarter where it the Bucks just couldn't make anything. So – one person we did see make it their, I think, season debut, or at least finally got some extended run, Shemi Ojale. He didn't do so well, Riley, did he? No, no, he didn't. This was his season debut. This is both him and Bobby's season debuts, I believe. So uh, Bobby did better. Bobby had, it was just six points, but 15 minutes, which was about what I guess they would go for. So uh, continue to rest up, Bobby. I think it'll be critical that you return at some point with Shemi. Uh, you know, I <laughs> in in the context of the Timberwolves game and then the Spurs game, the number of people are like, he's going to get traded before he scores a single point as a buck. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't, I, you know, I'm glad that he's taking threes. Uh, but given the fact that I've yet to see like really stand out defensive possessions from him, which was supposed to be the reason, the main reason he was going to be around. Right. Uh, and going 0-10 from three so far in his Bucks career, 
not exactly ideal. Um, so like the thing with Shemi is maybe he will have the potential to get used to the defensive setup because we're throwing in a lot of these role guys is difficult because it's like, what are they going to be doing in the full ro- rotation, full lineup when it's here? But right now, I'm not seeing great defense from him. He's not scoring at all. We're not trying to get him like an easy bucket to get off the schneid. So it's like, I don't mind being bad on offense for him because PJ Tucker, it was a miracle and a half every time he scored. But on the defensive end, it's like, uh, can you do some cool stuff? I don't. I, I just don't even know who exactly he would be guarding. Like, it's just, it's so radically different from the PJ Tucker experience, which to be fair, I don't know. I still don't think PJ would be able to do that for a full season and then take that into the next season. Um, but early returns on Shemi, Oljale. Not great, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, oh my God. Yeah, with Shemi, it was kind of a, we didn't expect him to be PJ Tucker. We expected him to somewhat fill the role. Yeah, defensively, it's more, where where is this guy that was advertised to us? I think that is the bigger issue. I am encouraged that he's taking five threes. They were good shot selections. They were good options. I didn't look at those and say, why are you taking that shot? They all made complete sense. But if you're not going to hit shots, you at le- and if you're brought in to be this defensive guy that can allow the Bucks to play the small ball, I don't know what exactly you're going to be good for. And I, I'm sure he will get a point before he gets traded. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, I, I feel confident in that. But it is a what does Milwaukee need to do to kind of get more out of it? And he did just come back. So it, it, it might be asking a little much out of him, you know, to hit the ground running and be, you know, this guy. He didn't have a preseason. He didn't have I, – I doubt he had much of a training camp because he was hurt. So – how much can we really expect him to hit the ground running? I don't know, but I'm sure he'll get better. But this was not the best of starts for him. Um, it's just more the if you could do this in the playoffs, and that's why he's kind of there. We, It's not a big deal if he can't do it in game, what, four of the regular season. But if he's not, if he's having these same struggles in April, then I will be concerned. The difficulty with him is, one, he was the very last... He's the Tory Craig. He was the very last signing we had. Or wait, was he the very last signing? Maybe not, because he... The signing for him... And okay, maybe not, because the signing for him came well, like two hours after the PJ news. Yeah, because I think as a sign, he was the last one, because him and Rodney were about the same time, and then they added Grayson. Oh, Hill. yeah. No, wait, yeah, no, yeah, I think yeah. George Hill was later, was it? I don't know. George Hill was later, yes. So, well, either way, okay. So the whole thing is like... he's put into for him a slightly unfair situation from our perception because we saw PJ Tucker go out there and for like 40 minutes grind against like Kevin Durant or grind against like, uh, I'm trying to even think who, um, like Devin Booker. Like he, he just, we saw him really play up and above what we thought his potential was. Now you have Shemi come in. It's hard, going to be hard against these sorts of teams, this sort of situation uneven rotation to find out who is the guy that Shemi is going to guard. And also we're not doing a whole bunch of switching right now. The number of like zone defensive possessions we're playing is so crazy high. And like, we cannot do the zone drop scheme because Giannis is just, that's not what he does. And so it's like, 
I don't. We don't need to trade him tomorrow because he went over ten. Uh, I'm willing to wait and see how like a full rotation looks, and if we start doing switching defense, and if that helps him out. Um, but it is just disappointing that doesn't score any threes. If he made even like two threes, I'm like, ah, you know, early season jitters and such. Going over ten is tough. And then if once the full rotation is back, we can see a couple possessions of him in the switching defense to say, okay, are you capable of doing something in limited minutes? Um, he just has really unfortunate timing so far this season. Yeah, this isn't DJ Augustine. We're expecting you to be the backup point guard, and you're just clearly washed, and we have to mm-hmm. trade you and get an upgrade in the way of P.J. Tucker. It's not that extent of what Shemuel Jolie's role is, but it is It is similar to Torrey Craig, where if he were to just not play, and I think it would have been different if a lot of people would have been... With Torrey Craig, though, everyone... Everyone on MB- on Twitter was saying, "Oh, this." Everyone was saying, "Oh, this is a good move for Milwaukee. This is a great move for Milwaukee," and we just never saw it. We just never saw it. And then he goes to Phoenix and has a couple good games, and everyone's like, "Oh, wow! Why did Milwaukee get rid of him?" And then we get to the finals, and it's well, he didn't really. I mean, we got PJ Tucker, so we're good. And I feel like had Shemi had gotten the same kind of plaudit or reputation. Then everyone would be like, "Oh, it's okay. He'll he'll figure it out. He'll turn it around." But it's it it'll be something. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yes, as we mentioned, uh, Shemi went zero for five again against the Spurs. But that game was not on him. It was a ninety-three to one hundred two loss to Spurs at home. It was just a very. If you watch this game, I congratulate you because it was not it was not super noteworthy. Giannis twenty-eight points, thirteen rebounds. Chris, 19 points, took 21 shots, 2 of 7 from 3, so still a cold night from Chris. Um, they started the Nassas at center again. He played 18 minutes, though. George Hill, 10 points. Grayson Allen, 12 points. He had, he was 4 of 9 from 3, at least. But, yeah, kind of the same situation where not a lot of offense for Milwaukee, and I don't know where it was going to come from if Chris is struggling and it's just Giannis. Yeah, uh, this one was tough. Thanasis, I mean, he looked horrendous. I mean, straight up awful. His defense was... Jakob is like a very large man, so I do not fault Thanasis because he was giving up like six inches of heights differential. But like (laughs) Thanasis's positioning in space on defense is just... (laughs) There's a reason why Thanasis is like the end of the half two possessions on defense guy and like that's about it because that is about all he is capable of um the thing with like trying to find more offense elsewhere the jordan war experience is going to be mixed for i think a while because there's a certain level of um Bryn forbes where it's like when he's on he's on when he's off he's off yep. and in this game he goes oh five from three uh, not the end of the world because obviously Shemi's right there with him. So he has misery loves company, but like if in a situation where we're already down a whole bunch of guys and you need offense off the bench, okay, Pat Connaughton, three, three baskets, fine. No big deal. Rodney hood again, very limited minutes, um, but goes two or three from three. Great. No problem. That's exactly what you need. If you're looking for then the next creator guy, Jordan war is going to be that. And there was just, they weren't even bad shot selection. Like there's a lot of times where, okay, there were like two or three shots where it's like, Jordan, I don't know why you're doing this or taking that shot in that form. But a lot of it, it's like they were decent shots. They just didn't go down. And if that's the case, then you're getting no backup really off of the bench. That's going to be tough. I mean, let's, I mean, four guys off the bench scored 24 points together. 
It's not great. Six you need a little bit more. Yes, impressively like even, but if you have a game here where we already knew Giannis is going to have a tough time because he struggled against Pirtle uh, last week, where it's like Pirtle is big enough to not allow Giannis to go right through him, and he's good numerous times. I was really impressed with how quick his anticipation was to bottle Giannis up from like trying to do a spin move or something to attack the basket, and then Giannis has to try and pass out, and he has seven turnovers. Like there was just there was too much in terms of size, and if nobody else is going to be able to help out, Chris again shoots kind of poorly from the floor. Uh, that's it's just a rough rough combination there. And like the, after the first half, I was like, nothing that Milwaukee did that felt positive here seems sustainable whatsoever, and uh, that, <laughs> that that proved to be true in the second half. Yeah, and. It was also one of those where it felt like the Spurs also were not trying to win this game for a stretch. <laughs> it wasn't until the fourth quarter where then the Spurs were like, okay, we'll, we'll put this game away. It, both teams were definitely struggling. Both teams did not look good. Our good old friend Bryn Forbes went 7-16 from the floor. And I, I, I kind of laughed at that stat line because I was like, Bryn Forbes took the second most shots out of everyone, <laughs> out of everyone on the Spurs. Which I am surprised when there's you know Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson and you know Derek White like there are other guys that you would expect to take shots like I don't imagine Brent Forbes being the I'll take sixteen shots and only four of those were threes I don't know why thanks Brent I guess but it it is just tough when you don't have Brooke you didn't have Bobby you're kind of just throwing Giannis out there against Poto and he and yeah Poto is definitely good enough to defend Giannis to the point that it's not going to be an automatic two points. But it's more on the offensive end where he's big enough that you have to give him some attention. I mean, he only took six shots, but it was clear that his presence was causing Milwaukee fits on defense just because Thanasis, you know, was not doing a good job or Giannis would come over and Giannis had five fouls. So it was not a great, you know, it was not great for Giannis as well. And I think this is where everyone is starting to have their freak out about, oh, we they need to get another big. We need to get a backup big because this is not going to work. And I don't fully disagree. I had said last week that the Bucks don't need to grab a big, and I still feel that way. But I'm also looking at it and realizing maybe there's some I, – I think I might start turning around on it. I don't think I've, I don't think I've jumped ship on that take, but I – I can understand why um, some people could be very adamant that it needs to happen. So I, I don't know. Like, is that something that you've thought of as well, Riley, with the lack of bigs and does Milwaukee need to add a big? Uh, do they need to add a big? That's a good question. I want to apologize to old resorter who was very upset with my introduction to my Monday morning media roundup last week. I swear it was not targeted at you. Uh, and, and, and the basis of your argument, especially played out in this week, the first week, two weeks of the season, uh, definitely some basis. In fact, in this game against the Spurs, it's the exact sort of situation where if Brooke Lopez is out there drawing Jakobo away from the paint, I mean, the bucks, Giannis would have scored like 60 million points because it's, Purtle and like a whole bunch of wings. And I, I mean, I'm looking at the roster here. I see nobody on the, oh, Thad Young, I guess, could play some defense, but it, nobody on the starting lineup for San Antonio that would have a chance in hell of trying to stop Giannis. And so it's like, 
for a situation like this, would it be nice to have a big man? Yes. But like, I understand why going after the, uh, after the playoffs last year, I understand why it would be that they were like, that the team was trying to go through and say, we had this whole off whole playoff run where Brooke is out there, Bobby is out there, Giannis is out there, PJ is out there. That very limited, um, that very limited big man lineup, that was enough to get us through. So I understand where they're coming through and say, what are the odds that we have a Brooke injury, that we have a Bobby injury? And to be fair, we have a guy like Sandra on the bench who, two-way guy, a little undersized to be a big, but he is out there, technically speaking. So maybe you could have him out there, but like, I don't know if it's just a trust issue, but I understand the people's opinions where it's like, we need a big man. Totally get that. I also understand where the team would be coming from and saying, we're going to need to shake up the wing, like rotation a little bit more because we lost a scorer in like a Brent Forbes. We lost a defensive stalwart in like a PJ Tucker. Who can we roll the dice on here? And it's unfortunate that they've done a whole bunch of wings and none of them really paid off so far, but like, and so I'm still not going to fault them only six games in now they may go against the jazz and just get blown the doors off by like a Rudy Gobert. And that's going to uh, displease people even more, but it, I'm not going to freak out just yet and be like, we have to sign a big man. That's going to be impossible. I looked at like the free agent list. Nobody there is all that like inspiring to me as a big man pickup. So I, I'm happy to just keep on waiting another week or two, see if Brooke comes back. See, how I, was, I know back issues kind of plague guys for a long time, but hopefully it's nothing too major. See how we look then. And if it's something where Brooke's injury is going to be for real for the rest of the year, then you can start looking to maybe we can trade somebody. But you know, I, I'd have to go back through like the free agents who did sign for minimums elsewhere who are big men and be like, was there somebody here that was compelling to me? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think both sides of the debate have something to say and it's just too early to say this is doom of the season and what we're going to do from there i feel as though some of the options out there that people are throwing out i don't know if it's really worth it you know there's harry giles i think was the biggest name i saw and if we're having an injury crisis the last thing we need is a big that has an injury history worse than brooke and bobby so I don't know if he's the type of guy, and kind of like what you're saying, there's just not a lot of options at the minimum. It's kind of a, well, let's just go ahead and see what happens. Let's just figure it out. I, I'm still thinking that it is going to be a situation where if you just have Bobby healthy, you can get away with it until Brooke comes back. And maybe that's just not going to last that much longer. I don't know. You could make a trade. This is probably where you can possibly get a Dante, a Dante trade to get a decent big option. I'm not saying you have to trade assets because I don't think Milwaukee has any anymore. But you can I can understand if we're getting to January and Brooks back issue is still lingering. I, I think there is an there is a way that the Bucks could get a big without sacrificing too much, whether it's adding someone on the 15th spot or trading someone like Dante, even Shemi Ojale to kind of make up for it. But it's also one where I wouldn't be surprised if there's another two-way player that could sign or someone from the herd that really, that does really well in Milwaukee decides let's give them a legitimate chance as well with the herd season coming back. 
that should help. So I think those are the other options, but it kind of is a good leeway into our question that we were asked last minute, and we appreciate it. At Emergency P on Twitter, he had asked, is the whole season going to involve rotation load management until the playoffs? Uh, the stating was the contention is, I don't know what the team's capability is, but yeah, that was I guess that was kind of his question is, will this be a whole season of load management and rotation? Yeah, so so I wrote them my contention. So like I believe that this season is going to be, especially on load management, it's difficult because right now the team is just really getting hit by the injury bug. I mean, look at who's all out. Literally four out of the nine players who would normally be part of like our regular rotation are out right now. <laughs> Show me the team in the league, anywhere in the league, who is missing four out of their nine like top guys and they are still like creaming other teams. And and like the load management will be something during the season. We will have games where Giannis sits. We will have game where Giannis and Chris sit. We will have games where Drew sits. We will have games where Brooks sits. That was already something we did last year. The question is going to be like, will it be throughout the season? What do you consider throughout the season? Like I said before the year, I think there's going to be a an inclination on Bud's part to pull guys quicker as a game either gets out of hand, they're down. I mean, these past couple games that kind of goes against because Giannis played like 37 minutes or something like that yesterday against the Spurs. He played quite a few minutes against the Wolves. But like in a game where we lose sort of early or like down big sort of early, do we wave the white flag and is that a form of load management? So I think do think it is going to be something throughout the season until the playoffs. The question I think then is not so much is that going to be the case? But is that a good thing? And I don't know. I flip-flop on this all the time. There are days where I wake up and like, I think it's good to have these guys play as many of these games as possible. You don't have to have them out there for like 40 plus minutes a night. I think that's malpractice. But I think having them out there playing minutes together is ultimately good for the team uh, and the like chemistry, especially now with so many guys in the rotation who are new, who you're trying to figure out what can you do within the flow with the rest of the regular guys. We don't know that yet. And so we're losing time now early in the season to test that out, which is unfortunate, but I think it's, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Well, well, what do you think? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing, like injury, like load management, injury management, that's whatever, load management. Like where are your thoughts on it right now? I figure they're going to do it because they had played so late last year with the title. Mm -hmm. What the last game was mid July. And you're trying to start a season almost three, less than three months later, there wasn't really much rest. And then when you also throw in that drew and Chris had the Olympics, so they went even later, they didn't really get, I mean, the core core guys. So you're saying Giannis, Chris, Brooke, Dante, Pat, Bobby, they didn't get much of an off season. And even then, while it is relaxing, you know, Giannis is traveling all over the place and showing up at wrestling shows. Bobby's showing up at wrestling shows and over at Arkansas. You know, these guys were busy still, even in the off season. So they haven't gotten much rest. So I figured there would have been a lot of rotation load management. And then you throw in all these injuries and that's a concern. It, I think it's also a good thing, though, because we're seeing what Jordan Wara can do. 
that was always going to be a big question of what is this guy? Can he be someone that you can give rotation minutes to? So far, it seems at the very least, he's worth giving a shot. You're seeing someone like Rodney Hood where he's not going to be able to do much, but him just giving you 10 to 15 minutes, that's not going to be a bad thing. We saw early on Sandro, you know, getting those, getting that run. It was kind of good because he at least got that welcome to the NBA speed. This is what you're going to need to get to that level. And then he can, you know, refine his craft and bulk up when he's over with the herd in Oshkosh. So it, I have no issue with it. I think it was going to be a lot of load management, but I also think it's more erring on the side of caution, especially with Brooke Andrews injury. I think if this was in April, Drew probably is playing. I, I, I do think that, but because he didn't really get much of an off season, I think that has thrown him off. And with Brooke, it's kind of like, it's your back. You don't want to rush someone back with a back injury. And if you can afford to just let him rest, give him the time that he needs, then do it. There's no point in throwing him out there in semi-meaningless games against the Spurs and the Timberwolves. It's not worth it. You know, if it was the Sixers or the Nets, you know, or even New York, you know, teams that are going to be that you'll see in the playoffs, then yeah, okay, I can totally understand. You know, maybe we throw Brooke out there, but... I think it is going to be a lot of load management. I think there is going to be a lot of rotation. Maybe not until the playoffs. I would say once we get to March, then maybe we'll start seeing. I, I don't want to say like the rotation shorten, but I definitely think it's going to be. Now we're going to start preparing for the playoffs. Now we're going to start getting there because the players also know what it's going to take to win a championship and get that far. And I don't think you're going to get the easy first round you know, opposition this year. You, you could still get to five games, four or five games, but it's not going to be as much of a cakewalk as it was in 2019 against the Pistons or the next year against the Magic, you know, teams that are just simply not good. There are going to be a little bit better teams in the East now, but I think that's going to be the key thing is, can they, can they at least try not err too much on the side of caution and make sure that even though yes you want to make you want to still limit the minutes as much as you can that you're not just decide okay we're not going to play we're going to play Giannis 20 minutes and then throw 30 minutes over a Jordan Wars direction because you still might need him for the postseason you know you don't want to necessarily have George Hill playing 30 something minutes but you also don't have a backup point guard at the moment so those are the kind of guys it's more the George Hills the Jordan Wars even Pat Connaughton where you're going to need them off your bench. And right now, because of injuries, you are going to have, you're throwing them probably more minutes than I think would have been ideal. So I, I think they'll still try, but it's, I understand the concern. I understand why, you know, there could be issues about the team's depth or not having the chemistry. Yeah, if you want an indication of just how deep into the rotation we have to go to find enough minutes to make sure that Giannis is not out there for like 40 plus minutes, which I think no matter how injured people get, they are going to do everything they can to avoid that. Uh, we have 14 guys out of 15 who are averaging more than 10 minutes played per game in their appearances. Now, some of those guys are only like two or three or with Bobby, like one appearance. But 14 guys on the roster have played more than 10, like on average, more than 10 minutes a game. That's uh, that's like a lot, a lot. And even like 
with Giannis, the contention that you said about everybody went really deep in the playoffs. Also, Giannis's knee bent backwards like two months ago. So he might still, I doubt, besides all the traveling, not sure how much conditioning he was working on. He looked like he was really gassed last night at the end of the Spurs game. But like what the Bucks are doing so far is very Bucksian. It's just we, even the presence of Chuz Bobby, just one more big man, I think would make a world of difference for all of this because that's a guy who knows how to play around Giannis and Chris. That's a guy who's able to help like pull big Ben out of the way for Giannis. And so far Giannis is still averaging less minutes played per game than he did last year. And I understand people who would be concerned about like, Oh, is that going to affect his conditioning late in the season? Uh, I think he's able to pull more conditioning out. Like he's able to dig pretty deep, even if he doesn't play like 40 minutes a game to end the season. And so it's like, I don't know. It's It just all feels a little too early. If people are like, oh, there's a chance that Giannis might pick up some sort of injury or he's getting pushed too hard to like do something because we don't have these big men, totally understand where that concern is. And if that does happen, then you can come out with the pitchforks and come at me on the Monday morning media roundup if, because Giannis has to play a bigger role. But even then, looking at the game so far, I'm not seeing Giannis or Chris doing something so above and beyond what they've ever done before in their careers. Uh, they're not playing excessively more minutes. They're sharing the ball unsuccessfully a lot of the time because they're turning it over. And so these are not things where it's like we're asking Giannis to do even crazier amounts. I'm sure they're telling Giannis like, hey, no need to throw your body into like a Jakob Pertl or you throw your body into a Carl Anthony Towns and do everything you can to get the rebounds the way that Brooke would. They understand he plays a totally different thing. They're trying to have him play a very different role or just trying to fill the stopgap. So I'm not concerned about there being potential more injuries. I think there are going to be rotation. There is going to be a certain level of load management, all these sorts of things. But none of that is necessarily a bad thing or that we're seeing something totally out of the ordinary for what Giannis or Chris does or what they're expected to do. Yeah, that's fair. And I think the other thing, though, is at this point, we're just trying to get through the beginning of the season. It's It's still early. Once some guys maybe get healed, We'll see a little bit more rotation. But the other big uh, talking point was the jerseys, the supposed city jersey that got leaked. So what are your thoughts on it? What are my thoughts on the city jerseys? Um, So if you're somebody who is on the Internet, uh, you should be able to go. I think it's let's see here. It's at Camisas d a dot n b a okay that's awful i'm so read sorry it. <laughs> g was the one that uh, sent it OGGZ, shout out to you for putting it out there correct the if you go if you go on like on twitter look around you'll find it pretty quickly no problem um it was always going to be tough for them to do every era of bucks basketball and make like a good looking jersey I, i'm gonna be honest i don't think they did it i so for those who haven't seen it's sort of like a the elements that they have is that they have the seven, like early seventies word style, like font for bucks. They have the current Jersey lettering and um, name on the back. So they have that font for the, uh, the num sorry, the numbers and the lettering on the back. They have the Irish rainbow, like three types of green plus cream, I think, or white or cream. I can't I tell if the white. jerseys. I think it's white. Looks like a white. And then a purple stretched like the furthest, like for about half, from the mid waist down and then a little bit of blue at the top. So it's sort of like a Irish rainbow redux with a little bit of purple 
a blue for now, the 70s word mark, and like our current's numbering. It's a lot going on. It's a lot. Yeah, when they first were doing the teasers, and first you see, you know, the 70s and the old Buckhead. I was like, okay, so maybe they're going to kind of have the, similar to when they had the Mecca where they have that one throwback. And I was thinking, okay, that'll be fine. Then they showed the Irish Rainbow in the 80s. I was thinking, okay, you could still make this work. You could still have the old Buck as the shorts. You could have the Irish Rainbow. You could do the Buck's word mark. We're fine. And then they started throwing the light it up, and I was that's when I was like, I don't know what we're doing here anymore, people. I, I give up. And then they threw the 06, like the Bogut, Jennings, Michael Redden. I don't know where that's where I was just confused. Like, where are you trying to what are you doing with all this? And maybe you're just showing a history. And yes, we it became clear that was gonna be more of a collage. It could have been worse. I, I don't know where the two thousand like second rebrand over in 2005 2006 is showing up i i thought that's where the bucks word mark was coming in but i don't know like i don't mind it the purple is the purple is just subtle enough that it's not and it's not overbearing so i don't have a problem with that it's down the side just that's okay the irish rainbow i'm always a big fan of i think those are the best jerseys we're good there. The little blue at the top, I didn't even notice until you had pointed it out before we started recording. And then I think my bigger issue is the around bucks. It looks to be a light green, a lighter green. But in this picture, and this picture doesn't really help because it is uh, probably a camera photo. It, it looks like they took it from like an iPhone 2. They had yeah. the iPhone 2 camera that they were taking it with on this one. May, maybe a Blackberry, uh, you know, that that's what we're talking about. But it, it definitely looks weird with the light green around the dark green. It makes it look blue. And that's where I, that's just too much for me. I don't like it. it. This looks like something that I would have bought from a street vendor in the Caribbean or Morocco. Like, this is where, like, that knockoff jersey, the guy saying, oh, I got Bucks jerseys. And you go and you see this and you're thinking this can't actually be the actual Bucks jersey, but it's five bucks. So why not buy it? <laughs> that is what this reminds me of. <laughs> it looks like something I would buy, you know, from a street vendor in Morocco or the Caribbean or even, you know, think of just think of any place that just has dudes that have knockoff counterfeit jerseys on the side. That is what this is. The the real beauty for this, and I so this is big respect for the Bucks because that market of guys, and I love it. Anytime I go to a Bucks event or watch a Bucks event, the difference in the coloration of like the knockoff fake like home or away green jerseys and the real ones is so. I mean, it's so stark. And this oh, yeah. is going to be the type of jersey where you can get the you could spend the two hundred fifty dollars for the real deal, or you could spend the fifteen on Alibaba.com. And you're not going to be able to tell the difference. You're going to be like, wow, those look – there's even a chance the knockoff looks a little bit better if they just like really go over the top of the elements. It was always going to be an impossible task for them to draw in all the different colors. I have no idea why they are so dead set against bringing red into any of this. I mean, red and purple is kind of a tough combo. They, I think they should have just kept it as green and purple. The blue is – that really annoys me personally, but like – it's just always going to be hard. I, well, we don't even see the shorts yet, so maybe those will look a little nicer too. I'll be interested to see how they do with that. But uh feels like a bit of a miss. And we will. I will ping Adam after this, and we'll have his review, and we will read his review because 
we, no, he, we will. he is also yeah we we need it so I, i'm not going to be purchasing this jersey if it's anywhere close to what this is showing here but uh good try bucks yeah i i will not buy it if someone wants to buy it for me i will not say no but i will not buy it myself i'm curious how they're gonna try and make a jersey out of this because that's gonna be the big question is what what t-shirt jersey are you going to attempt to do with this are you just going to have the bucks word mark and <laughs> call it good or are you going to try and put in the Irish rainbow? I think that's where I am. I am very intrigued on that side of it. But that you you know you know if you're a jersey designer, you messed up if Kyle Carr won by your jersey because Kyle Carr has everybody's jersey. I, he has, well, he has I, all the jerseys. I don't know what it is with the Milwaukee Bucks, but lately, like I feel like with the Milwaukee Bucks, they just keep throwing jerseys that I'm just not feeling. The Mecca, I was not a big fan of. Over now that time has passed, I. It's tolerable. I still would never have bought it. The last year's city jersey, the blue, hated it. Even I didn't even buy the Cream City one from a couple years back. I, I don't know. I, I think it's just I feel like the Bucks are trying too hard. And maybe a lot of this is tying back into you keep trying to make blue happen, and it's just not going to happen. And mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. And the last question I wanted to ask with jerseys, this doesn't really have to do with this particular jersey, but there is – an issue that got brought up thanks to Twitter again. Um, Cream City. Are you, do you have a problem with Cream City? Are you a fan of Cream City? Is it, is it whatever? Because there's definitely been a debate that people outside of Milwaukee don't understand the significance of Cream City, but even people within Milwaukee are questioning it as well. So what are your thoughts of that? Um, so I, come from the school of people who aren't actually from Milwaukee. So maybe this is somebody who like is live born, raised in Milwaukee, knows the cream city moniker. I had never heard that before. Everybody knows Brew City. Everybody knows like literally, literally everybody knows Brew City. And I thought when they said cream city, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of like a different takeoff of the brewing industry. Like, you know, like cream foam off of the beer, something like that. The main issue is I'm sure they ran by the league doing brew city, but some sort of like they don't want to be associated with like alcohol or something, or maybe too close to the brewers. They wanted to I keep think it, it would be different more the brewers because they're spo- the NBA is sponsored by Hennessy, so I think it's more the brewers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, the, but Hennessy, they're not they're not in with the Miller crew. They're not they're not cool with the Miller crew, I guess. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a good point about the Hennessy sponsorship. But I just think like what they. It would everything would have worked so much better had they been able to do pretty much all the same exact designs, but say Brew City. Because when you think of like beer, it's still like a, you can do like a creamy, light tan color, no problem there. Um, I, I, I'm not in the school of like the Bucks marketing people literally like implanted an idea and changed history books to like be like Cream City was something. I'm sure it was something. It's just not something I associate with the city. Um, I don't feel all that strongly about it. I thought the jerseys that said Cream City on the front are like, that may be doing a little bit too much, but uh, I'm not too upset about it. Yeah, I'm also in the school of I didn't grow up. I didn't. I was not born and raised in Milwaukee. I was. I went there enough times where I kind of got, and I had enough friends over there, but I did not grow up there. I feel as though the big thing that people want to push with the Cream City is the brick, and I understand it, and it's a big deal, and I'm sure at one point – that was Milwaukee's signature look, but we are now in 2021. There's not really that many cream city brick buildings that are out there. I, I think it's just one of those 
this was cool back when Milwaukee was the industrial town that everyone, you know, you had your manufacturing factory jobs. And now that those don't really exist in Milwaukee is it's just not Milwaukee. I I am similar. Brew City would have made a lot more sense. You could have done the beer. You could have had a cream beer look. It, it, it just seems as though the people that really want to fight it are the ones that are trying to justify the Bucks pushing it as heavy as they are. And I think that the Bucks, it's more that this ownership group just came in and was like, okay, cream it is. Cream for the Cream City brick and everyone's it, – it's one of those things where you feel like you Google stuff about Milwaukee and then the ownership's like, oh, mm. the Cream City brick. Yeah, we'll run with that. Kind of like with the blues. <laughs> oh, the rivers and the lakes. We'll run with the hat. And mm-hmm. it doesn't – truly epitomize milwaukee but i'm sure it epitomizes a section of milwaukee but the problem is the as this team grows more international as this team's fan base grows more international you're going to get a lot of people that are not that are fans of the bucks that aren't in milwaukee have never been to milwaukee so i get Mm -hmm. the idea of trying to pay homage to the cream city brick but to kind of make it seem like this is milwaukee's staple when it isn't that I think is I, I don't care enough, but I think it's just more the people that care really care and the people that mm-hmm. don't care really don't care. And we probably probably just need to fall more in the middle of, OK, that's cool, I guess. Sure. Whatever. If that's what it takes for you to sell jerseys, that's what it is. Ask yourself this. When Pat Connaughton buys a plot of land, a historic plot of land where the building built in 1910 that holds a whole lot of history and he tears it down because that's what he does. Is he going to choose cream brick as his like base to build the next building on? No, of course not. And so you're right that <laughs> the city of old is not the city of now. That is the like old style. As much as I appreciate it, there's like so many buildings in Minneapolis, a similar style. I'm like, I just love looking at them. That is not the city of today. And like, no, like the brewery business is not the same Milwaukee. But like when you drive into Milwaukee off of 94, it's like all the infrastructure is still there. You still see like some factories, like there's the whole Miller like complex, this giant lineys complex, like right off of 43 or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's so many different connotations where if they are looking for like homage to city symbol, that is like somewhat well-known outside of Milwaukee. Uh, the whole beer thing is still like a pretty big deal. Even if like headquarters and stuff like that for Miller is not, you know, if they're moved around, all that sort of stuff, people still associate the city with that. And that's, you can still see, literally physically see the facilities in the city. And so, and whatever, we don't have to get too into it, but I, I just think a missed opportunity. You're probably right that they want to avoid the Brewers thing, but I don't even know why that's a bad thing. People love being like, oh, I support this. T-. Look at everybody's Twitter uh, biography. Uh, hashtag fear the deer. Hashtag this is my crew. Hashtag whatever the Badgers is. Hashtag go Paco. Everybody loves that. It's fine. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> I mean, but look at that. It, like that's everybody associates all the teams together. That's like the whole purpose is like by associating slightly with the other professional team in town. That does not necessarily take away from like your jersey sales. You're like the most popular team in the city. But well. I mean, in the city proper, but like you're at the highest popularity you've ever been in like your entire organization. You can take off a little bit of what the brewers are doing and like some have some of that moniker. And that is not a bad thing. People would probably like it. They'd be like, oh, they're like associating. People want to associate their pro teams as all being part of the same community. 
It's not, I'm a Brewers fan. I, you know, they have to be totally different from the Bucks. They're all part of the same city. They all have Milwaukee right on the front end. I don't know. Without being within the organization, like the decision-making, I have no idea why they chose cream over. Well, and the other thing is, you think of a city like Pittsburgh. Every professional team in Pittsburgh is black and yellow. Yes. There, you could do something. It doesn't have to be exactly like that, but you can do something similar with the Brewers. So that's mm-hmm. where my thought is. It doesn't hurt. I'm sure next year they will have another cream jersey because I feel like they do it almost every other year or every third year at this point. So it'll be fine. But we are going to take a quick ad break, and then we are going to come back with our miscellaneous stuff and predictions. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are... It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Okay, we are back. And with today being Halloween, I had a few Halloween special rapid-fire questions for you, Riley. So are you ready? I am ready. First off, are... Are you doing any Halloween part? Did you do any Halloween parties? Are you going to a Halloween party? Are you doing anything for the day? This year we are not. Um, my dog, God bless him, he uh, does not like when people ring the doorbell. So we will be taking him to a trip to Target and maybe Home Depot and going on a long walk while the kids do the um, trick-or-treating in our neighborhood. And we did not do a party this year uh not for any particular reason. We got nothing against it. We'll probably do something next year, but this year we did not do any sort of party. You know, that's fair. Yeah, I am taking the boys trick or treating later today at the in-laws' neighborhood because there's more families there, so there will be candy. Speaking of candy, what is your favorite Halloween? What's your favorite candy, or what's your favorite candy that you would get for Halloween? Um, probably Butterfingers. I'm a Butterfinger guy. It feels like there's Reese's people and Butterfinger people, and I'm in the minority. I think the Butterfinger people are a lot smaller, but I always got really jacked when I got a Butterfinger. Yeah, I'm definitely Reese's, but I don't mind Snickers. Like Snickers is also like a straw. I feel like you can't go wrong with Snickers. You can't go wrong with that. Is there a candy that you absolutely hate? Original Twizzlers. I do not like original Twizzlers. I pull apart Twizzlers. Now we're talking, that's a whole different genre, but like original, the little like mini pack with little like three inch long pieces of Twizzlers. Miss me with that. I hate those. I am not a fan of Smarties. It's just, I, I think the problem is so good. Ball, Come on. it's a good palate cleanser, but when you get all of this chocolate then you get thrown like this like chalky <laughs> candy. You're just like, what is this? <laughs> I think that's the issue is more you have all this sweet chocolate and then you get this smarties. It's 
chalky. You have to chew on it harder. I think that's my okay. issue. I don't mind it like on its own, but not during when you have a whole bag of everything else. You, um, you also get like 70 packages of it too when yeah. you go trick-or-treating. Everybody loves giving because it's usually like one of the last things well, if you end cheap. up like on the back end. Yeah, cheap. and it's also cheap. Yeah. You can buy a giant bag of those and that could be enough to throw to the kids. And you can throw two of those mm-hmm. and be good compared yeah. to, you know, no, the, you're right. Every other candy where you're probably spending five dollars a bag, Smarties, it's mm-hmm. maybe two dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your favorite Halloween costume? One year, you- when I was a yeah, when I was a kid, we did like I did a monk outfit, so I got like the robes, I got like a big over the top chain, and then we got like a little wig for like I think it's a tonsil is the name of the look where like you're bald on top, and then you got like the bowl cut and then it's just like the really i mean it's an awful look shout out to the monks for rocking that that was <laughs> had to have been rough uh but i had like that and like a sandals look so it was uh not exactly like the well, most well executed but for being like eight years old like this is a pretty dope monk oh and like it had the hood on or whatever so i yep. could toss that up so i thought i think that was my favorite yeah uh, my, i think my favorite either it's a tie between being a surgeon i, I would walk around <laughs> and i just had gloves and i was just and i was just <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word I kept shouting that everyone else sterile. I kept saying sterile, sterile, and I was uh-huh. walking around and I had like some ketchup blood. It, that was pretty fun. And then I went as Finn from the Star Wars sequels. I and my oh. wife was Ray, and this was but we were like, hopefully they're not siblings or like, hopefully this is not some awkward. Situation. So far, you like knew you knew what their whole relationship right. Was. Well, it was like hopefully this doesn't go down. This doesn't age poorly. Thankfully, it didn't. But. <laughs> I bet you guys pulled off. I don't think I've ever seen images of that, but I bet you guys pulled off some pretty sick costumes because it there's it's so different being a kid. I mean, your parents are going to buy whatever like crappy yeah. like you'll thing throw for, this like, Target for ten dollars. Yeah, be correct. But like when you're an adult, you can really some people go really all out. So I'm sure you guys really pulled the the uh, outfits off pretty well for that one. We did. I think that's the only. Yeah, that's we went as like an old couple one year, and that that, that was also because we were just too lazy to think of something. We haven't really done mm-hmm. much of the terms of like big because we just don't do halloween parties it's fine but especially now two kids it's more of a i don't want to spend 70 80 dollars for a costume that i'm going to wear once and Mm -hmm. never wear again so and then the last question i have candy corn good or trash good if you have like four of them trash if you have five or more very very limited sample size you can have on that beyond that i'm like it's too much i i accept that i think for me good when it's it's similar to smarties good on its own good in a pinch trash if it is a feature of your candy bowl they have like the nastiest mouthfeel ever when you're biting into them and like that, like it's starting to break down. You're like, this is just wrong. Everything about this is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like it's become a bigger content. It's kind of, it's almost gotten to pineapple and pizza <laughs> levels of mm-hmm. debate. And I feel like it shouldn't. It's just candy corn, you guys. So those are the Halloween themed uh, rapid fire, even though most of you will probably hear this on November 1st, right after Halloween. Happy Halloween, though, if you are listening to this either way. Uh, Hopefully you had a good time. Yeah. Uh, So for this week, you don't have a film review. I have. It has to have been months since I last had a (laughs) fountain pen related thing. Uh, Part of that was because our good friend, uh, Robert Oster, he sent me whatever that like 
60 gallons of ink, so I haven't had need to purchase one. I'm sorry, Robert. I went against you slightly. I purchased some new ink, a Rohrer and Klingner. Uh, they're a ink company based out of Germany. There's a lot of like in Germany for official documentation. This is not always the case, but a lot of official documentation requires that the notary sign in a iron gall ink. So what this is, is for like the period from like the year 400 until like the early 20th century, inks were generally made out of like iron sulfates and like a sulfuric acid that they would combine that that way it would stick onto the paper. And over like the course of centuries, it would, because of the properties of it, it would literally like burn through the paper. But it was the one thing that they could develop easily enough that would like be permanent. So nowadays, not a lot of people use iron gall inks because it's hard to get like a lot of colors. Um, they're a lot more like reasonable the way that they're mixed and they're a lot more uh, paper friendly. But even if you use it in a steel nib, which is what I have here with the Twisby, if it if you let it sit long enough, it will corrode the metal on it. Like that's just like the buildup to it. So what I have here is the Roro and Klingner Scabiosa, I think is how you pronounce it. It is a, you can't really see it here. I'll show you a sample of it anyhow. You're not gonna be able to really tell all that well. But it's sort of like it goes down as a light purple. And the way that these inks work are over the course of like a couple hours, a couple of days, they go really dark because that's when the, the sulfides in there start like really adhering to the paper. They are essentially totally waterproof. So I've had so many times where, because I have fat hands and because like my hands will be sort of sweaty when I'm writing, if you go over even a line of dried ink with like a somewhat like oily part of your skin, it'll like mess it up a little bit. It'll start falling apart. Dye inks are not waterproof at all. So if you are somebody who wants to write with fountain pen inks, but wants something that's essentially permanent for as long as the book doesn't get burned for centuries, you need to go with an iron gall ink. These are my first iron gall inks. Um, I got this in a different color, which I'll talk about next week. Um, happy with the performance. They're very like friendly on even just normal paper. So people like it for that as well, because not everybody can afford or cares about having like the super fine Japanese paper that costs a lot of money. And so if you want a like Moleskine notebook, which is pretty like run of the mill paper, but something that's permanent and like plays well with it, doesn't feather, doesn't fall apart. Iron gall inks are the way to go. Um, so it just, it, I'll report back over the coming weeks how it goes. But so far I've written a couple of entries with it performing pretty well. I'm pretty happy with it. So uh, it, it's it's a whole new different kind of ink. We'll see how it does with my pens. But so far, I've enjoyed it a lot. I was one of my follow up questions was going to be, can you use it on regular paper? And you, you answered it. I, I think the waterproof is huge because I did not I did not realize it. It is something that you don't think of when you're writing. And if you do mm -hmm. get an oily part, even a knuckle and it smears that would that would kind of suck. So it does. And people are so and people are so used to when you're using like a roller ball or a ballpoint, like your usual Bic pen. Those are essentially waterproof as well because of the gel, the way the ink is. Yeah. When you switch over to fountain pens, it's all dye based, like the vast majority. And so you're like, wow, look at all these crazy colors you can get, which is fine. And for a lot of people, that is fine. And they, you know, if you're just writing a little journal and you throw away stuff, it's fine. But if you want something, if your concern is like, I want this to be around for a while, I want to be able to hold on to it where it doesn't fade. Or if I years later come back up 
open the notebook and accidentally like a little bit of water gets on it, ruins the entry. Um, you have to look a little bit for more specialty inks like this. So, so it is a balance, but so far I, I've enjoyed the, uh, the switch. So we'll see how it goes. Gotcha. And my last question, is it more expensive than some of the dye inks that you bought or is it about the same or is it also, is it just a range depending on how? Uh, it's actually about the same. So like part of it depends on the brand. So Mont Blanc, which is like the highest of the high end, a, I don't have a bottle on me, but like a 50 milliliter bottle there, that'll cost you like $60, okay. which is so super on the high end. And that's just for a dye-based ink. For this, I think I spent 12 bucks for 50 milliliters. So that's about average, I would yeah. say. Um, they they make enough of it that I think they have like probably a lot of contracts with like German governments or like different governments who use it for official documentation where they get it to about the same price. So it's not any more expensive necessarily. Okay. Nice. Well, that was probably the most in-depth ink review we've had, and maybe it's because we haven't probably, done it in yes. months. <laughs> <laughs> but we have our predictions for the week. The Bucks have, I guess, we did the Jazz game last week, so we're just going to bypass that. Um, if you're listening, that's why we're not talking about it. We already did it last week. But let's start. There is the Detroit Pistons on the road. Then they are hosting the New York Knicks and then play the Washington Wizards. So those are the three games. Riley, what are your thoughts on how they'll do? And I should probably note, Pistons is Tuesday, Knicks is Friday, and the Wizards is on Sunday. So, yeah, we're just going to review the – I don't know. We'll review the Wizards game as well. <laughs> we'll <laughs> yeah. We're not we'll doing figure Sunday it out. night games. Uh, that's, that's the new role. <laughs> yes, Sunday that is the, the new role. Um. I will say we go one and two and everybody is going to want what is going to be is this sort of warfare that we were used to at the height of like crashing out of the playoffs. People are going to lose their minds. I think we'll beat Detroit because Detroit is bad and they want to be bad. Uh, The Knicks and Wizards are like having early season success. I think there's going to be a chance that we use this week to say one more week of getting everybody healthy. Uh, if we lose against like loser teams, not the end of the world, I think we're going to, I don't know if Drew, how much longer he's going to be out. Cause if it was just like an ankle sprain, I think he could come back at some point. I think Brooke is going to be off for this week. I hope Bobby gets a few more minutes, but I think with all of that, we're still going to have a really busted rotation and against a team like the Knicks or the wizards who have like slightly higher expectations. I could see losses there. So one and two is my prediction this week. I'm going two and one. I think they'll beat the Pistons. I think they'll lose to the Knicks because the Knicks are playing well. And then I'm also going to say they're going to beat the Wizards only because I'm going through the Wizards schedule. And it's there's not really a lot of impressive wins on here. I mean, the Hawks aren't bad, but the Bucks, Giannis is definitely going to score 50 on what this team. They are allowing points galore, it seems. I, I, yeah, I don't know. There's something about the Wizards where they're still they're just good enough at this point where they're going to get some decent wins, but it's still a team. I mean, they have Kyle Kuzma, they have Montrez Harrell, they have Bradley Beal, <laughs> and it's going to be one of those where Bradley Beal struggles shooting. I think the Bucks and they have KCP. They just have a lot of guys that are going to shoot, so the Wizards will either score 150 points or only score 80. I don't know. It depends on how their shooters do. So I think the Bucks will get a win there. It'll ease concerns 
everyone will feel good about the week. But yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling great about the Knicks game. I don't know why. The Knicks, I feel like that's going to be, it's going to be similar to last year. The Knicks just don't miss any shots. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. It's, I continue to implore people, don't freak out. I know it's, it sucks if we fall under 500, but it's a long season. We have a lot, like a lot of injuries to really keep people. Let's see how the team looks once people are back uh, before we hit the eject button. Yeah. Also, not this this following week. Starting with the Wizards game, that's when the Bucks go on a five game road trip. That might be when people start freaking out because they're playing the Sixers, they're playing the Celtics, playing the Hawks, they're playing. That's going to be the that's going to possibly be the implosion week, as I'm going to call it. So, otherwise, you can follow us at brewhoop.com on Twitter on uh, Twitter as well as just at brewhoop. We're going to have more articles. Obviously, my Riley's Monday Morning Media Roundup. We're going to have Vance progress report. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other stuff. We're also going to start trying to focus on the herd as well as their season gets underway pretty soon. So thanks for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, share this with your friends, and we will talk to you later. <laughs>